welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. We just finished the story of David and Goliath. Pretty cool story, huh? Uh, you know, it, a lot of times you hear a story said so much in a very simplistic way, particularly, to, you know, we tell a story to children or something that you miss. There's a lot of stuff going on here at the same time, which is, which is kind of neat. So anyway, so uh, we are in chapter 18, verse 1. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. In other words, they became really, really, really good friends, okay? Uh, from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. Now, remember how we read just before uh, David and Goliath, this little section about how Saul got David into his service playing the harp when he was being troubled and stuff. And all of a sudden, boom. It's like that whole little thing was kind of out of order. This is really where this happens. This is when Saul kept David with him. Uh, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul sent uh, him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army, and this pleased all the people, and Saul's officers as well. So this young guy, I mean, this is really significant. Remember, he's a young dude in the first place. Nobody even took him seriously when he came on and said, I'll take Goliath. They laughed at him. You're just a kid. What are you talking about? Well, now he was so successful, not just in this one event, but now he's successful in everything he does. Why? The Spirit of God is with him. Why? A Saul had anointed him as king, even though that he literally doesn't become king really for quite a while yet. God is with uh, David, and everybody just digs it. This is, this is a fabulous young guy, and uh, he's doing great. Now, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the big ugly guy, uh, the, woman, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. So they're coming out and they're singing, and as they dance, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Well, this did not go down very well with Saul. And Saul was very angry. And this refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But with me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Well, the next day, an evil spirit from God, uh, we talked about that last time, you know what, or actually two weeks ago now, um, meaning, you know, an evil spirit from God, exactly what that means. We don't really know what that means. God is not evil. It was evil to Saul. (laughs) In other words, this spirit would come and and, and there, there would be punishment on him. Now, some debate, well, maybe that was a satanic spirit that was allowed to die, whatever. Bottom line, you know, God was allowing this to happen because Saul had fallen out of favor with God. So anyway, this thing would fall on, on Saul and it would so bum him out and it would depress him and, and uh, he would just, you know, he could hardly function. And uh, so while he, he was prophesying his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. David would play the harp and relief would come to Saul as he would do this. Well, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it 
at David, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. Uh, but David eluded him twice. <laughs> it would be once for me, I got to tell you. <laughs> and it was actually a third time that this happens. I mean, you know, it's one thing when you think, you know, I don't think that guy likes me. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you're working with somebody or, you know, I don't walk by and smile at you. You know, I don't think Pastor Mark likes me. You know, you get, you get these little little doubts in your head. But it's another thing when a guy is hurling a spear at you, trying to pin you to the wall. Kind of a big clue. I really don't think he likes me. Anyway, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. It made it worse. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Well, Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let a Philistine do that. In other words, he hated him. He wanted to kill him. He said, well, I'm not going to kill him. I'll let one of the Philistines kill him. So his intention was to give him more power and lead these risky uh, uh, raids into the Philistine territory in hopes that one of them would kill David. All right, that was that was his hope. Um, and he thought, well, I can raise him up really to a really high status if he marries my daughter. So this is his justification. Here, you can have her and da-da-da-da. Which, by the way, he was supposed to get her as part of the deal, remember? Um, you kill the guy, you kill Goliath, you get... The money, you get free taxes, no taxes, and you get the babe. So he finally says, okay, here you go, and this will work out. But David said to Saul, who am I, and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So, I mean, who does this sound like? It sounds like Saul. Remember when Saul first started out? He was so humble. He was like, man, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. What are you, what are you doing? Of course, then eventually, you know, got so thrilled with himself, he's building statues in his own honor, becomes arrogant. God can't bless him. He gets in trouble with God. Talking about Saul. So here's David. He finally gets the reward. He says, well, here, here's Merib. And, and he goes, I, I can't, I'm a nobody. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to be the, the king's son-in-law. So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, uh, you know, he backs out of the deal. And then she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahaloa. Sounds like he's from Hawaii or something. I don't know. <clears throat> so anyway, Saul's daughter, Michael... This is the next one. The younger Chicky Poo. She's in love with David. I love him. I love him. I love him. And when they saw, when they told Saul about it, Paul, Saul said, yes, 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 this is great. I'll give her to him. And so that she may be a snare to him. So that the head of the Philistines may be against him. He's saying, what way? Well, he's coming up with a plan here. Okay. He knows that David won't just take the girl because he's too humble. Well, little cute uh, Michael is in love with him. I just love him. I just love him. And apparently David thought, yeah, she's a cute chick. And so David, he says to David, he says, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. And then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, the king is pleased with you and his attendants all like you. 
Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David. But David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. When David's when Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, now say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins. <laughs> you know what that is, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man I tell you you know there's some weird stuff going on in the Bible you know so I, I want a hundred now what, what does that mean that means you know the end of their wee-wees you know he will cut them off and he said what are you going to do knock on people's doors say, can I have the end of your wee-wee you know what, what, what it meant <laughs> you know, I mean how do you get these right it's not like you go to Walmart you know and pick up <laughs> pick up some foreskins you know so <laughs> the the immediate implication was that he would have to kill these guys because most guys don't give that up very willingly you know <laughs> you got to kill me before you get any of this you know what i'm saying so so that was the plan so he says well so tell him what you got to do is he he wants a hundred of these deals and uh and take revenge on his enemies. So, so Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. He thought, well, this is it. He's going to go out and he's going to try and kill a hundred men by himself. Trying to earn the, the foreskins. And, and that will take care of him and, and they'll kill him. All right. Well, when the attendants told David these things, David's response was pleased. He's not pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So, because now he gets to earn it. You know, he should have earned it with the Goliath thing. But for some reason, now that made sense to him. So before the allotted time elapsed, there was, you know, if you do by such and such, come up with, you know, these foreskins, then you get the girl. Well, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. And he brought their foreskins. (laughs) Now, there's a romantic thing right there. Say to your wife, baby, you're worth 200 foreskins to me. <laughs> Here's a pickup line for you. And I, you, know, you have no idea how many foreskins I'd go after for you. <laughs> uh, you, you may not want to do that. But anyway, so then instead of the 100, he comes up with 200. Well, then Saul's like, oh, how do you kill this guy? You know, it's like a tick. You can't kill ticks. You squish them. You sit there. Keep going. So then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. Now when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Well, the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. Chapter 19, Saul told his son David and all the attendants to kill David. That's got to be really weird because everybody loves David. Okay, now he's passing this where I want you to kill this guy. But, you know, he's the king. You got to go with the king. But David, his son, was very fond of David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and tell you what I find out. 
Well, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his own hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? So, so Jonathan reasons with pops. Well, Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So he makes this vow uh, to, to Jonathan. But he's lying. Okay, now here's a guy already. He's already missed out with God. He's, he's a complete mess. And uh, so he deceives his own son. So Jonathan is thrilled. He calls David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was as with Saul as before. And, okay, great peace in the family. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Again, he's just sitting on the house with a spear in his hand. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. Wow. Anyway, that boy, would you play the harp with your eyes open? <laughs> so he just man I mean he's trying to kill him well that night David made good his escape so Saul's, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and kill him in the morning but Michael David's wife who loved him warned him said if you don't run for your life tonight tomorrow you will be killed so Michael let down David uh, down through a window and he fled and escaped well, then Michael took an idol I don't know where she got that from but uh, uh, and laid it on the bed and covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. So it's basically making it look like somebody's in the bed. So Saul sent the man to capture David. And Michael said, oh, you can't, he's sick, he's ill. So Saul sent, back, sent the man back to see David and told him, bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, pull back, there is the idol in the bed and at the head with some goat's hair. Saul says to Michael, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? And he said, well, he's, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? He's going to kill me, daddy. He's going to kill me, daddy. He's going to kill me. Liar. So she lied. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done, done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul. Hey, I know where David is. David is at Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. I love this next thing. But when they, when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as, the lead, as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. So here they're coming to take David away, and they get around. Now Saul is one serious prophet. You don't mess with his cat. You know what I'm saying? Spirit of God is on him big time. These guys are worshiping God and prophesying, speaking the words of God. And these guys come, and they're going to get him, and they get close to Saul, and pretty soon they're, praise God, praise God. And and they're uncontrollably praising God, and they start uh, prophesying. Um, Well, Saul... Verse 21, Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. And then Saul sent a third time, and they also prophesied. So he kept sending these guys, and every time they get close, they couldn't help it. They would all start prophesying and worshiping God instead of grabbing David. Finally, Saul himself left for Ramah, and he went to the great cistern at Seku, and he asked 
where are David and Samuel and David? And they said, well, they're over in Naoth at Ramah. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even upon him. And he walked along, prophesying until he came to Naoth. And he stripped off his robes and also prophesied in Samuel's presence. And he lay that way all that day and night. So he says, praise God, he's prophesying and stuff. And, and they say, this is where the saying comes from. Is Saul also among the prophets? So it was a very unusual event. And there became a saying of it. When someone does something unusual, they would say, is Saul also among the prophets? It would be like if Pastor Lathan started leading worship on Sunday morning. You'd all go, is Saul also among the prophets? You know, I mean, just it's like, wow. I mean, it's kind of a little unusual kind of situation. So, <laughs> which he might, you don't know. Um, <clears throat> then David left from Naoth. At, I just think it's a funny story where, you know, these guys can and, you know, trying to muscle their way in. <laughs> God would just zap them with the spirit and they couldn't do anything. Uh, then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Now, up to this point, Jonathan doesn't know what's going on. Last time he talked to Pops, Pops swore to God he wouldn't touch him. All right? He says, what, what did I do? Why is, your, why is your dad trying to kill me? And, and Jonathan says, never. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It, it is, it's not so. Why would dad not, dad not tell me this? Well, because last time you give this big sob story, that's why. And dad didn't want to deal with you. Anyway, so David took on oath. And, he, and David swore to him, look, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. That's why he's not telling you, dude. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me, at all, tell him, well, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being married there for his whole clan. If he says very well then, uh, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he's determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, talking about himself, show your kindness to me, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? And David asked, who will uh, tell me if your father answers you harshly? How am I going to hear once we do this little test? How am I going to find out what happens? Come, Jonathan said, let's go into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed to you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off everyone of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And anyway, they're making these big vows and commitments. I love you, man. I love you. No, I love you. I love you. No, man, I really love you. And they're back and forth and they're promising to God, I'm going to do this and nothing will ever separate us. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David reaffirmed his oath out of love for him because he loved him as much as he loved himself. And they're all in love with each other and they're just lovely and it's lovely. 
<sighs> okay, I think we get it. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow toward the evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone of Ezel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, Go find the arrows. If I say to him, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Bring them here. Then come. As surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There's no danger. But if I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are beyond you. Then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember that the Lord has witnessed between you and me forever. So, he comes up with this elaborate plan, which you'll see in a minute. Seems rather odd because it doesn't really seem to mean anything. But <clears throat> he basically says, Look, this is how I'll warn you. You hide behind the rock. And I'll get out there sh- practice shooting. And if I tell the guy, Hey, go, my servant, hey, go over to such and such side, then that's my cue to you that it's safe and you can come out. If I say to him, Look, keep going, looking further. I shot some arrows over there. That's the clue that you need to run and, and save yourself. Okay, so they got it all worked out. Now, so David hid in the field, and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next, uh, sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. And Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. He must have done something ceremonially unclean, and he has to clean up before he can come. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was still empty, and Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal yesterday or today? And Jonathan said, Well, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go because my family is observing a sacrifice in town. My brothers ordered me to be there. Blah, blah, blah. He's lying through his teeth. Lie, 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 lie. Well, then Saul's anger flares up at Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman! We have a similar phrase today. <laughs> He's cussing him out. You son of a rebellious and Don't you know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you or your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring me him, for he must die. Of course, this is a shock to Jonathan. Last time he knew, dad swore nothing will happen to him. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him. Saul had some serious anger management issues. My staff thinks I get mad. At least I don't try and kill him. Although it's not a... No, I can't do that. Then Jonathan knew that his father was intended to kill David. So Jonathan... Yeah, then he knew he tried to kill you. Got a hint then. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on that second day of the month that he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Personally, I'd be mad about the personal treatment of me. Trying to kill me. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. So he had the small boy with him, and he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind, beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrows, arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out to him, uh, Isn't the arrow beyond you? He shouted, Hurry up, go quickly, don't stop. Okay, that's the cue. That's the, David's hiding. He's waiting for the cue. There's our big secret plan. You know, now Saul's trying to get you. So the boy picked up his arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boys and I go carry them back to town. Well, after the boy had gone, uh, gone, David got up from the south side of the stone 
and comes and bows before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. And then they kissed each other and they wept aloud, you know, on the cheek, people, okay. Uh, kissed each other and uh, wept aloud, but David wept the most. Well, I just think this is kind of odd. They come up with a secret communication thing and he gives them the secret passcode and then after the guy goes, then he just walks out and they talk. <laughs> What's with the secret plan? Why didn't you just come up and say, well, what happened? Right? I don't get this. It's just kind of odd. They're very dramatic, these people. You know, I just say, hey, you know, you're in trouble. You better run. So, so they come out anyway. and it, oh, I love you, man. I love you too, man. Oh, it's going to be sad. I'll never see you again. i got to run for my life. And Jonathan says to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. So the best of buds, the best of buds. And they finally separate. And now David is running for his life. Well, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered, Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But now first of all... (laughs) And these guys said a lot of lies. You know, well, the king told me, you know, what are you doing here? Oh, well, the king sent me, gave me a secret, top mission, top secret mission. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm just, they're just telling you what happened. So, you know, um, so he says, well, do you have any bread? And the priest said, well, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Because if they've been with women and they're icky, they got cooties or something, and they can't touch the consecrated bread. And, and David replied, well, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The uh, men's things are, are holy. The men's things are holy. Even on missions that are not holy. We, we, be, we behave with our things. And this is so weird. Discussing the holiness of their things. So anyway, how much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. Since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed before the Lord. And replaced by hot bread on that day. Blah, 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 blah. Now, by the way. They weren't supposed to do this. Now, this is a story that Jesus uh, refers to later in the Gospels. He he doesn't refer to their things. But he talks about, uh, you know, their guys were going along. I think it was when they were, I guess I should look this up ahead of time. When they they were going through with his disciples and they were picking grains of corn or whatever, wheat. And the uh, Pharisees came out and just had a fit. You're breaking the law. You're breaking the law. Sabbath says, don't you remember? That when David was in need of bread, he took the consecrated bread, which only the priest should take. You know, and Jesus was trying to use that as an analogy that, look, you know, uh, 
you don't have to be so religious that, that, you know, he basically says, look, the Sabbath is made for men and men not for the Sabbath. And anyway, so Jesus refers to this one event. Um, so I pointed it out to you. All right. So now one of Saul's servants was there that day detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite and Saul's head shepherd. Well, David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Liar! You still lie. Well, the police replied, well, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. So David now is re- reunited with uh, the sword that he got from, um, uh, what's his name? Goliath, thank you. Reunited and it feels so good. So he's, he's there. I don't know if he sang that song or not, but they reunited with the sword. He's thrilled now. That, I don't know why you people come here. I just, <laughs> <laughs> that day, David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. But the servants of Ashish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul is slain as thousands. David is tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Ashish, Ashish king of Gath. So he presented himself, to, pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door and letting saliva run down his beard. Okay, now, this is a bad day for him. I mean, things, this is, you know, you read this, the, the Psalms, and when Saul, Saul you know, uh, David's writing some of these Psalms, talking about out of the, my depth and my despair, my enemies are trying to kill me and stuff. These are some of the Psalms that he wrote during this period when uh, his life was miserable. And he's humiliating himself, and he's got to act like a crazy lunatic. Because he's afraid for his life. Uh, he's been, feels completely abandoned. And, you know, I mean, it's significant because, you know, you read through these things real quickly and it just seems odd and it is a little odd. But uh, you've got to th- you can imagine what this is like. Here is a guy who is being praised throughout the land. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's getting accolades and they're singing songs about him and, and he's, he's r- turned this incredible uh, battle around in favor of his nation and being praised and said, so, well, now the king's trying to kill him. He's freaking out. He's running for his life. He's eating, you know, the consecrated bread. We shouldn't be eating. He's, he's kind of desperate. Life is really in a bad place. He goes to this place. They're all afraid of him. And they said, isn't this David? You know, we got to watch out for him because they... He was afraid they'd kill him. So he's got to pretend that he's nuttier than a loon. So talk about falling from the place of glory. So now he's, he's down and he's acting like a crazy person. He's drooling and stuff's pouring out. He's scratching on the walls. You know, and everybody's looking at him and he's not crazy. But he's got to act. This is humiliating. Actually, this is a little humiliating. But, uh, but that's humiliating. It is horrifying to him. This is a bad day. Life just sucks at this point for him. 
Everywhere he goes, there's this huge sucking sound. And Aisha says to the servants, look at the guy. He's not even alone. <laughs> Why'd you bring him to me? Am I so short of crazy people that you got to bring this guy here to carry on like this in front of me? Must he, this man come to my house? I mean, he had to really act nutty. Well, we don't got enough crazy people around. Look at this guy. This is crazy. Oh my goodness. How do you, how do you feel at the end of this day? You know, it's significant because oftentimes, look, God is still with him, right? God is still with him, but he still has this time in his life where things are really going badly for him. Sad to say it, I know so many people would just give up on their faith at this point. Where is God? Where is God in my life? I'm trying to trust God. God's going to be blessing me. And now I'm acting like a loony bit. I'm running for my life. Everything's horrible. Wow. Anyway, David finally leaves Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their leader. So he basically attracts all the losers. So this is your army now. You know, this is, this is your staff. You know, <laughs> these are the guys, you know, anyone who's in distress or he's dead, he can't pay his bills, everything stinks in their lives. You know, they're disconsented, they're miserable, and they all come around, David, hey, we'll, we'll follow you now, you know. So he goes from leading this incredible army to now leading some of the most simple, some of those broken, some of those faulty people that there are around. Uh, it's kind of like being a pastor sometimes. <laughs> you know, we were talking about this today. It's kind of a funny thing. You know, Jesus gave this great analogy or story. He says there was a king who... Uh, announced to uh, that he's going to have this great wedding. He's going to invite all the all the really cool people, all the hip people, all the exciting people and stuff. And they went everywhere and invited these people to come. And but they were too busy. I'm too busy. I got you know I got to wash my goldfish. You know something's much more important than this. And you know and what, the analogy was that sometimes the people who are the most together, the hippest, the cool, really don't take God that seriously. And in the story. These guys come and they say, well, look, these guys won't come. And then Jesus said, the master said, go out into the byways and the highways and get the lame and the broken and the the losers of the world. And have them come in so that my house may be full. And there you have it. And it was an analogy of the kingdom of God, you know. And I'm not picking on you. I'm the biggest loser in the bunch here, you know. It's, just, it's amazing God takes and he attracts some of the most simple people in the world you think nobody in the world would think much about at all. If, if you are involved in the kingdom of God at all and you think, man, I don't know why God would use me. I am a complete dork. Welcome to the family. All right. You, you fit here. You fit here. They say, oh, I, 
I'm a li- I've done really stupid things in my life. Welcome to the family. I've done disgusting, horrible things. Welcome to the family. Look around you, folks. This is the family right here. Okay? <laughs> Some of them are a little stranger than others. My son-in-law in the front row here. Hey, I thought you were growing your hair back out. I thought you said you were growing your hair back out. Man, I'm going, I'm going bald the natural way. <laughs> Trying to keep up with me, he says. I'm going all natural. The old-fashioned way, one hair at a time. Dink, there's another one. Dink, there's another one. Dink, there's another one. You know, takes time. You need patience, my son. So I just see this analogy here that, that David, again, he's now surrounded by people that maybe nobody else would really want to be around and uh, creates for himself quite a formidable group of men who start to change the world. This was the beginning of Celebration Church, right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Welcome to the family. I got trouble. I got problems i'm not happy i'm in debt i've got you know nobody likes me welcome to celebration church so from there david went to mizpah in moab and said to the king of moab would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until i learn what god will do for me so he left them with the king of moab and they stayed with him as long as david was in the stronghold but the prophet gad said to david do not stay in the stronghold go into the land of judah so a prophet comes and prophesies to him So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul, spear in hand, Mr. Spear Happy here, was seated under the uh, tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah with all his officials standing around him. Saul said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all you fields and vineyards? Talking about David. Will the son of Jesse give you lots of cool stuff? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? I mean, he's just got this little band of 400 dorks. Is that why you all have conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. He's mad now. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. But don't wake the Edomite who was standing with Saul's official said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitu at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions in the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So they're giving, they're coughing up the info here. Then the king sent for the priest of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. Saul said to him, uh, listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and the sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he's rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, was highly respected in your house. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. 
Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for the servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. In fact, he didn't. Remember, David lied to him. David's running for his life. What are you doing here? What are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. Oh, well, the king sent me on a secret top mission. You know, you got a sword handy, a couple of sandwiches. But the king said, surely you will die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. They wouldn't do it. He wants to kill the prophets? You want to see the little... I mean, Saul's getting, he's out of control. The guy has lost his mind. His men know he's lost his mind, but yet he has all the power. He has all the wealth. He has... He's the king, for crying out loud. But yet they, they are messing with them, and I'm sure they're freaking out, because they know you disobey the king, he could kill you. I mean, this is heavy stuff. These guys are in a state of confusion. You know, for all they knew, like this guy said, we thought David was on your side. He's coming telling us he's, he's with you, and Saul said, kill them all. Then the king ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So he points to just one guy, then Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. I mean, this Saul is getting in serious doo-doo here with God. 85 men who were prophets of God, servants of the Most High, Saul kills. And they were guiltless, every one of them. They didn't know anything about this. They told him we didn't know anything. He's one of your top guys. He tells us a story. We're going to believe him. Why, why wouldn't we believe him? Ah, you're on a conspiracy. See, he becomes paranoid. Everybody's out to get me. Everybody's out to get me. Ooh, 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 ooh. He becomes fearful. And he, the guy's just going nuts. He also put the sword to Nob, the town of the, the town of the priests, with his men and women, his children, his infants, his cattle, and donkeys and sheep. So then Saul goes and then takes the city where they all live and kills everybody and everything. He is so full of rage and bitters. They kill these prophets and then go back and kill even the infants. He kills everything. Why? Because they gave David some food and Goliath's sword. And they didn't know anything about what was going on. Wow. But Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, son of Atu, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abathar, that day when Doag the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. I'm responsible for the death of your, your father's whole family. Remember Doag, he'd seen him. He said, oh, I knew it. That squirrel. I knew he's got a big mouth. He's going to go tell Saul, this is my fault. And it's hard to argue with him. You know, at least if you would have warned them and told them the truth, you know. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You'll be safe with me. I know he's trying to kill you. He's trying to kill me. Welcome to the band of brothers, the losers, the desperate, the ones no one wants anything to do with. Okay. And then when we come back next week, now we're going to pick up the story and we're going to see how David stays in this state of Saul trying to kill him and making his life 
a living hell. And keep that in mind when you start reading some of these psalms. I mean, what, what an incredible attitude of praise and thanksgiving to God during some of the most miserable times of his life. This is why God so blessed David. Because even when things were at their worst, even when it seemed like God was a million miles away, David would sing songs to God. He would praise God. He would worship God. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your working in my life. Out of the depths of my soul, I cried unto thee, O Lord. Wow. You know. See, praise is often the most powerful when you are the most miserable. It's easy to praise God when everything is good. And you should. We should be marked. The Bible says we should be marked as people of thanksgiving. We should be giving thanks for everything. But man, you want to unleash the power of God in your life. You want to unlock the power of God to move into your life. You start praising and worshiping and celebrating Him when your life is absolutely in the toilet. When everything is the worst it can possibly be. When it's dark and it seems like it cannot possibly get any darker and you have that choice i can cry i can get angry i can get bitter i can question god or you say no and you start to praise god and you worship god and you celebrate god when you've got nothing to celebrate about wow watch what god does in your life that's when the power of god comes changes things hallelujah i'm done Come on down, you guys. We will end with our offering. The musicians can come back up here. And uh, praise God. Don't you love the word, man? What, did I forget something? There's no service next Wednesday night. Oh, that's next week already. I get the night off. Cool. Actually, I'll be going to TBN in New York City. New York City. I'm going to be on TV. <laughs> next week, that's right, next week is the Fine Arts Festival. That's when the whole church shuts down and the Rugrats take over. It's cool. The Rugrats will be taking over and praising God and, and 600 Rugrats. Yeah, it's not just a handful of Rugrats. It's a serious Rugrat city, man. And it's great. Praise God. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord. Help us to learn uh, these lessons in our own life, as we look into the scriptures and see men and women of God who trusted you in the midst of horrible circumstances, help us to stand as people of faith, Lord, even in our giving, even in a circumstance where maybe money is tight, where the economy isn't looking so good, help us to do what makes no sense, and that is to continue to be generous. It's much like praising you when things aren't going well. Because we know that when we stand in faith and we praise you and we are faithful, God, even in the most trying of times, that your blessings come, your victory comes. Make yourself so real to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.